beautiful football. Look at this football. Oh, my football. This is amazing. Quite amazing. And shot up in. May I pop in? It's unbelievable. It's incomparable. Pretty incredible. Oh, so incredible. So incomparable. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful game. All right, roll around the barrel show. I, I am your host. One of them, barrel roller, Matt Bernard. I'm joined by my co-host, Swamp Box Rudy Freya. Say hi, Rudy. Hi, yeah, Rudy's here <laughs> right at the beginning of the show. Woo! I know it's. I mean, I'm so glad we're recording. I'm here at the beginning. This is exciting. I know. It's a big day for everybody. Uh, we talk on this uh, podcast to vintage baseball players from Coast to Coast Border to Border. Uh, I think you know that about us. And tonight we're going to do something a little different, but really cool, everybody. I know everybody's been anxious about this subject matter. I promised it a year ago. It didn't happen. And it's happening right now. Coming into the show, he's a member of the Franklin Farriers Vintage Baseball Club and the Tennessee Vintage Baseball Association. He's also a member of the Vintage Football Club, the Rock Island Independents. It is Simon Herrera. Simon, how you doing? Good. How's it going, Bear Roller? Uh, and Rudy. <laughs> it's doing excellent over here. Rudy, how you nice, doing? Nice. I mean, I mean, I'm... I'm very excited about this interview, and it's for obvious reasons. So I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. Nice. Okay, Simon, uh, I tried to get you on the show about a year ago. We couldn't. We couldn't come up with a working day. You're a busy man. You're a father and a busy, busy man. And uh, I am not so much as busy, but I am busy. So uh, we could never get it to work. And by the time. Uh, before I knew it, the season was over and football was done, and it didn't seem like there was a point anymore. But here we are. <laughs> yeah, we're in the middle of real football season, uh, professional football in college, and uh, uh, this this vintage football thing is great, and we're going to talk about that much later. But first, we're going to talk about the vintage baseball. Simon, tell us everything about your relationship and how it started with the Franklin Farriers. Um, well, I was, you know, I just sort of saw on Facebook, a vintage baseball team, uh, playing in Nashville. And I went down and checked out, uh, that first year as the Farriers and the Maroons checked out a game and then, uh, talked to one of my buddies. We were both into baseball and, you know, played when we were younger and, uh, they had, a, I don't know if they called it a tryout, but something like that in the, uh, the spring of the next year. So we went down there and, uh, signed up. Uh, and they were expanding from just the two teams to, I believe it was 10 teams at the time. So I joined up with the Highland Rim Distillers, which was a new team. And uh, I believe that was 2013. So I've been playing every year since. Now, we're not talking about football, but I am going to ask you just one simple question. What year did you start with the vintage football? Uh, 2015 was our first year so. Played two years of vintage baseball, and, and people ask, and 
completely unrelated. So we can get into that more on, on the vintage football, how that even started, but absolutely, uh, yeah, unrelated. I just wanted a timeline of, of your life and, and where we were, what came first. Now you say you came across this on Facebook. That was all, that was it. You just happened to cross this on Facebook. Yeah, I think they had posted, you know, they're having games. They were playing at a couple uh, venues. So that was, I didn't even know it was a thing. I never even heard of, of vintage baseball before that, honestly. So I grew up in Iowa and moved around and was out in Arizona for a little bit and moved here in 2010 uh, to the Nashville area. So was did, was new to me. Did you say that there was a tryout? or? Well, I think they listed it something like that. But yeah, I I actually, I don't. It, it was, you know, just some people showed up and signed up. Basically, I think they're just trying to get people out there, you know, and trying to generate some interest. So, was, okay, okay. I was about to be like, really oh, yeah, that, that's serious down there. Fantastic. Yeah, it's a, that's what's cool about this league is it's a league. So I know a lot of the clubs, you know, they've been around for a long time and they have uh, different teams and rivals. They purposely try and travel to play, but this one. Uh, you know, set up partially by Trapper Haskins, who's still in the Farriers, but uh, he came down from Michigan. I believe he played up there and kind of brought the idea. And I don't know. I don't know. I guess he thought of a league because there was maybe not a whole bunch of teams they could travel and play regionally. So he's like, let's try it for two teams. And uh, they had a lot of interest. So they just formed a league down here. Uh, I love the setup of the Tennessee uh, Association. <laughs> I, I say it all the time on the show. You guys, you have your board of directors. Uh, everybody seems to be on the same page. Uh, all of the teams, I don't think there's a club that exists in Tennessee that's not a member of this. Is that correct? Uh, I don't, yeah, I'm not aware of one. A couple years ago, we had a Spring Hill team. They were, we had, you know, already was, the league was full. So they kind of had interest in, uh, uh, joining the league but so they played for like a year they played a bunch of scrimmage games against some of us and 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 then worked out that they maybe another team had dropped out or something so they're in the league now so but that was the only one uh, maybe far out east or west but i'm not aware of them uh and you guys all play each other and then it culminates at the end of the season with the sulfur dell cup which we announced last night that we are going to be in attendance for in 2023 uh it's at, awesome it's at the rip of villa plantation what can you tell us about the rip of villa plantation well that's the one in spring hill that's where those guys started up uh, a few years ago so it's a it's just a huge uh the first year it was really cool it was uh they used to use it for farming and stuff still with corn so the first year they had a huge opening basically in the middle of a cornfield so but they had enough space <laughs> for two fields so uh when we did the uh the sulfur dough cup there, it was just surrounded by corn, some parking on the edge of it. And you're playing inside the corn, just like field of dreams, kind of well, that, on just a grass field with some, some Hills. Yeah. That sounds amazing. What so, else do you need? Maybe a tree or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trees, trees make vintage baseball a lot of fun. So. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, so you, you f follow up on this Facebook ad that you see, you go, you do a, some sort of tryout situation how long did it take before you fell in love well pretty much right away i'm sure anyone listening can remember their first game so I, the first game i played uh well i guess i don't remember all the details i just remember afterwards thinking wow like this is amazing you're playing out there in front of people playing baseball again it's competitive and uh, you know it was a game that meant something you hadn't done that in a long time you know when you're 
in your low 40s. So other than, you know, softball or something. So this was, you know, a chance to play baseball again. And yeah, uh, so pretty much right off the bat, fell in love. And like I said, I was in the Highland Rim Distillers uh, for, I did that for three years. And the third year we, uh, we won the league championship, but not the Sulphur Dell Cup. So, uh, but yeah, that first time we, we kind of had a, a meetup scheduled because everyone was going to build backstops and, you know, different stuff for their team. So I remember meeting some of my uh, first teammates and some of them were like, yeah, we're going to be pretty good. We probably got, you know, everyone's talking about how their team's going to be one of the better ones and everything. And <laughs> you get out there and see these guys running around that haven't played baseball in a lot of years. So, and now they got to play it with no gloves. A lot of, none of these guys had ever played before, you know, I mean, as far as vintage baseball, it's been 20, 30 years since they played with a glove. So yeah. <laughs> how long did it so take when you? you? Oh, go ahead, Rudy. I'm sorry. I'll go ahead. No. Oh, okay. I well, I was about to say you when you go, when you get out there and you show up and you know, you're, you're stepping onto the field. Are you telling them where you're going to play? Like your positioning or you'll be like, what do you guys need? Uh, and then they place you. Well, yeah, I didn't know anyone on the team, so uh, and definitely not the captain. So, uh, you know, I, I felt like I was pretty good. I had said uh, I played a lot of outfield growing up, center field. So I kind of said that's what I wanted to do. And after they saw me out there a little bit, they're like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you know, like you got you got outfield. Uh, you know, a lot of the guys were a little bit older than me. I was in my lower 40s. I guess it was kind of a, a mix, but there's definitely some guys that were uh, less suited for the outfield. So. Worked out well. How long did it take you to relearn how to catch a baseball playing center field? Because it's a complete, it's a different process. How long did it take you to get comfortable? For me, not super long. I played a lot of football and catch with football. I played a lot of uh, flag football in my twenties. And I even played up in Chicago. They have 16 inch uh, softball, which you play without a glove actually. And it's, it's a bigger softball. So I was used to catching, you know, kind of like you catch a football, that thing, like make a little a little net or web. So uh, on the run, especially on the bound, you can go out there and kind of catch it like this. Uh, line drives or pop flies, I guess that kind of evolved, but I was one who pretty much always wanted to catch it on the fly to avoid any sort of crazy bounce. So, uh, you know, and the crowd also liked it better when you catch it on the fly, on the run, you know, so... I was out there maybe showboating a little bit, trying to catch everything in the air that I could, but kind of evolved to uh, let it hit my hand and sort of sort of let it bounce a little bit. And then if you missed, you got the other hand free to get it off the bound or off the miss. So I was I was pretty good at the first couple of years right off the bat. I, I really don't remember dropping, you know, making any big mistakes as far as catching in the air. And that's you. You started out in the outfield and that's where you felt like you were. uh pretty good how long have you have you gotten closer to home plate since then as you've gotten older or are you still out there in the outfield i i'd like to be and i kind of mix in a little bit the the long story is i kind of injured my knee actually in a vintage baseball game uh sort of smashed it into the ground and uh yeah kind of uh lose some uh, meniscus and and that sort of thing so for about a year about two years i had a stem cell treatment done to it which didn't help a ton, but uh, I kind of started playing infield. I played first base for most of a year. And then uh, the last two years, uh, we've been a little shaky at shortstop area. So I'd done that some. And we were really shaking the outfield. So I'd mix in out there a little bit. So I was kind of just trying to save the steps, you know, from running out in the outfield. And, uh, but I, I'm definitely not as good at shortstop or first base as, uh, as I was in center field. But 
Uh, but it, it's 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 helped me keep playing, you know, by less running, I guess. You're a guy after my own heart. Like st- <laughs> I started out left field, then moved to center, then moved to right, and now I just want to pitch. So yeah. I uh, want to save my legs. Plus, you know, sometimes you got to step out there, especially when you don't have uh, enough outfielders. So I, I completely yeah. understand. Yeah, I've thought about pitching. I do. I'll do the batting practice just to save our, our pitcher some some of that work. Uh, I can throw strikes all day, but uh, I know there's some skill to it a little bit. So I just kind of I feel like if I go in there because I pitched a little bit in softball just to fill in, but I just serve them up literally. So I'm probably not the best for that, but I feel like I could I could get better at that if I you know keep playing into my fifties and, and and longer. So yeah, Rudy, how did you feel about him saying there? probably isn't much skill in that pitching tell, tell him uh, uh there's not there's not no offense taken he's 100 percent right <laughs> well, I, I don't, did i say that i didn't mean there's no skill in it I, just, <laughs> I, just mean, I don't have any skill i'll just serve it up every time no nope. I, I can't pinpoint it you know i just just yeah. natural for me to just try it and throw it right down the middle and that's exactly. probably not what you want to do <laughs> that's not what you want to do some people would tell you that's what you want to do they want they're the ones that want to hit the ball Rudy, do you throw Gentleman it down the middle? Gentlemen in this game, right? Uh, uh, I do not throw it down the middle. Okay. Uh, everybody in the uh, Tennessee Association uh, plays in the Sulphur Dell Cup. So all you're doing during the season is you're seeding yourself, basically. And uh, yeah. so how did – give us a quick review of how the Farriers did in the Sulphur Dell Cup this year. This year, uh, well, unfortunately – I believe we finished the season as the last seed. So, um, so yeah, we, we had a rough year, a lot of uh, new faces uh, two years ago and then this year. So it was rough season. I believe we scored like 31 runs and gave up like 130 or 40. So uh, generous. Yeah. Uh, and then also I didn't help because actually uh, my vintage football game was scheduled the same day as the oh. same weekend. So I have to travel for that. So, so yeah, I missed uh, and uh, they lost. You so I believe bitch. they may have actually won the first game. I, I asked uh, Meatball Tim Morgan about that. I think they they won the first, but he was being sarcastic. He's like, "No, we didn't win." So, <laughs> so yeah, not not good this year. So you're a guy who picks his vintage football over his vintage baseball. Say it here. Say it loud. Say it proud. <laughs> <laughs> kind of have to when you're heading up the whole thing, but yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that would be a bad look. <laughs> I'm gonna stick around for this baseball tournament. By our way, our yeah, run... when we're the when, when we have pretty much zero chance of winning, I'm gonna, <laughs> our I'm run gonna differential was over a hundred on the year. But I'm gonna stick around and see how it goes. Good luck, you guys. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, you guys in Tennessee, you are really blessed with a bunch of uh, beautiful home fields, from what I understand. Uh, what are some of your favorite fields to play on? down there uh well i love our home field the carton plantation it's it's also big enough for two fields uh there's the house off in the distance and uh, a, a cemetery you know a civil war cemetery out basically in the outfield uh it's probably like uh, 500 feet so nobody's come close but a little iron fence around it so and then behind it is usually they're growing like hay out there so there's a little drive and then hay field behind you know where you're at and you got some open grass there. So, and then some big trees, uh, way off in the distance, but you know, it's a battlefield. So that that's, uh, 
you know, one of my favorites. Um, also, uh, I'll jump to my least favorite is a downtown bicentennial mall where the Maroons play. Oh. If you're left-handed, the the wall is literally like 180 feet or something crazy. So you could do a check swing and hit it out on the street, which they don't like. So I'm like, why? <laughs> why why we have lefties bat here this is uh, so I, I always do horrible there because i kind of swing for some power and i gotta do half swings i, I don't like it everyone knows i don't like it there so uh, what's uh what's the rule a bit of a disadvantage what's the rule when you hit it out onto the street uh, in right field about foul, foul ball okay. no so, oh. yeah but I mean, I don't, I don't think it counts against you for a strike necessarily. No, uh, no, yeah. It's just annoying. It's out, of pl- it's out of play, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, uh, just a quick story. I think we were getting killed this year by the, was it the Maroons down there, and the score was probably like fifteen to two or something. And as my last at bat, I knew, I just swung as hard as I could and <laughs> hit it across the street into the building, and uh, <laughs> just. Just out of frustration, I'm like, all right, this is, you know, we'll, we'll see how far I can hit it, which they get mad because there's cars out there too. Luckily, I didn't hit anybody or any cars, but. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, wow. But there's there's trees out that way too, so you can get lucky and catch a tree. If so, you know, uh, the other way though, go ahead. It's, it's a little far. It's probably like 250 or something, but still, you can hit it out that way too. So it's just a real small field. Vintage baseball does seem to be biased against left handed hitters because here in Michigan, we have a handful of fields that really treat left-handed hitters like crap. And uh, I've never, I've never seen a field that treats right-handed hitters badly. I just haven't seen one. Is there one? I can't think of one. No. Uh, yeah. It's, there's one field. Uh, it was a Highland Rim Distillers. Uh, dang it. The, the name of the park is slipping me right now, but the, the right, the, the left field was lined with Oak trees so you could just swing away and hit it in the oak trees and, and you got a huge advantage there because it's going to bounce all over or go through the trees. And uh, out in right field, there was one oak tree. So since I'm a lefty, I would just, and it was right down the foul line, but I would purposely just hit it at that tree. It's the only tree I could hit it. I couldn't hit it at the, you know, the row of trees like the, all the righties could. So definitely a disadvantage there as well. Your wife is a chiropractor from Michigan. How did you find her? Uh, so I, I was working in Chicago for a while at, at Motorola uh, back in the late 90s and in uh, high-end electronic stuff, and that all went overseas. Um, so I moved back to where I'm from, which is the Quad Cities, which is uh, Rock Island, Bettendorf, Davenport, Moline area. And Palmer School of Chiropractic is located there in Davenport, so she was attending, and you know I just moved back. So we met uh, kind of through a friend there, and that was uh, back in the early 2000s. Um, here you are. And, uh, she took, yep, she took a job out in Phoenix. We went out there for a little bit and then on to Tennessee. Was it a blind date? No, it was actually her birthday. So, so just a, just a bunch of random people go out and, and, and met her at her birthday party. So it's kind of cool. Where did you take her on your first date? Uh, the, the answer is bad. It was like a Chili's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chili's, so yeah, but it wasn't, it's not wasn't exactly. I don't know if it was a date. We were going to go out and see music, and we're like, "Well, do you want to eat first? All right, let's go here." So yeah, that's. Hey, I mean, it's good to get know to know somebody over some jalapeno poppers. Like, yeah, so. that's not terrible. Uh, is that all you did though? You just went to dinner, and that was it. No, we went out to uh, see. Uh, we 
go we both like live music so I went to see kind of a like at a little downtown bar on rock island some you know a little local band playing so went and hung out there see that's good that, but you probably couldn't um, talk much during that because live music is loud <laughs> yeah 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 so we got to talk over you know the the poppers that's a good first date <laughs> rudy what were you gonna ask him? does does it come does it does being married to a chiropractor come with the perks of constantly being adjusted are you always perfectly aligned uh, she'll check me sometimes but no because you know when she gets home from work that's the last thing she wants to do is check me out and when she's done with her work she does her paperwork and then she leaves so i'll usually complain i'll know when something's out from one of my my vintage sports and yeah i'll go in and see her and usually i'm right there's she does the atlas which is the very top vertebrae and if that's out you can have kind of like a you know headaches and stuff like that so i'll I'll be able to tell she can check and she's like yeah you're out so it does come with those perks yes but it's not not like you'd like it to be probably <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> what is your wake wife... up every morning and yeah <laughs> Ooh, i feel good <laughs> what does your wife think about the vintage baseball uh the baseball she she uh enjoys it but you know it's so hot during the summers and we like i said we got a six-year-old and a three-year-old so there was some you know the first couple years it was we didn't have any kids so uh as we got kids though the thought was that i was going to retire you know and i was in my mid-40s at that point but i kind of pushed through those those tougher years and was able to bring my uh, at the time my two-year-old boy out to the fields in 90 degree heat and humidity and and uh you know she might stay home and or have to come out there but yeah it's a little bit rough but i mean she loves it it's it's fun to come out there and, and now the kids are a little bit older so they run around and play with other kids and but she might make it to about half the games i'd say but it's just it's mostly because the heat it's it's very hot in july and august here you got to take that into consideration because i i have a, a two-year-old and a five-year-old and yeah we're like you want to come to the game act no it's going to be like 98 degrees and 100 percent humidity we'll stay home i'm like I understand. Yep. So, yeah. I usually drag my my son out. He's the older one, so he has to sit out there under uh, some shade and yeah. But just because if I leave both of them at home, it's gonna it's gonna wear on her even more. So we got to get one of them out there. Exactly. <laughs> Divide and conquer. Yep. So you guys are dealing with a little warmer weather down there. What are your uniforms like? Uh, I mean, we wear uh, they're black Levi's, uh, sort of like stretchy jeans, but uh, that and a long sleeve button shirt that's got some uh brown and white stripes on it uh but it's kind of a thinner shirt and uh, we're allowed to roll up the sleeve so um but it's it's not too bad really uh, and that first that first team i was on the highland rim distillers we actually wore like a you know like a, dis, a distilling bib so we wore this bib that went all the way down the front to your uh almost your knees <laughs> we're out there playing baseball on that so that was it was kind of like overalls uh I, it's kind of like a, it was overalls, I guess, that went up and strapped over, but you had this little bib in the front with a shirt underneath. So probably looked kind of cool, but uh, it was a little different to play baseball in that. Have you uh, have you suffered any actual injuries uh, playing? No, just the baseball. Just uh, like I mentioned, the knee, which was, uh, you know, I've. Besides the knee, not really. I've been pretty lucky. I've been I've taken some line drives at first base off of the uh, like the wrist area on a you know a bounce and you know that sort of popped out about a half inch, uh, you know swelling and stuff like that. Uh, 
I've been really lucky because a lot of our fields have, you know, little molehills and all sorts of divots and stuff. Uh, there's been a couple of people who broke ankles and stuff like that. So I've haven't stepped in a hole all those years running around the outfield. Um, but the, uh, the knee was really it. And, and like I said, that kind of slowed me down for a couple of years there, but I've been pretty lucky. One of my good friends kind of retired. He took a line drive and, and broke a finger. So, uh. yeah. So been pretty lucky. I'd say. Simon, you live in Nashville. Let me ask you the same question. I ask everybody who lives in Nashville. Why does God hate Nashville so much? Why did why do they say that or why do you say that? Because I've, I've really heard it that. has been hit by so many natural disasters. It seems oh, okay. like God hates Nashville. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I work at the Tennessee Emergency Management Agency. So uh, yeah, we had a Christmas morning thing a couple of years ago where the guy you know blew up a truck downtown and some tornadoes, uh, wildfires, and stuff like that. Um, a huge flood, but uh. Well, the flood, yeah, 2010. I wasn't here yet. I just moved here uh, right after that. But yeah, that was that was a mess. So, yeah, I don't know. It just does. Wow. It does seem like there's a. Uh, are you a Titans fan by chance? No, that's. Uh, I'm a Jets fan, and the reason why, because everyone wants to know, is I grew up in the middle of Iowa. There's there's no teams. I was I was, I was on the east side of Iowa. There's no teams there. So when I was a kid, I loved airplanes and. Uh, story goes, I asked my dad, is there a team called the airplanes? And he said, no, but there's the New York jets. So, so a lot of years of suffering, but I was about to say, it was his answer. The years of trauma. You could have told me there was the new England Patriots or something or, you know, that would have worked out for you. I'm a dolphins fan. So I feel your pain to an extent. Some great, great games. You know, I started watching in the early eighties. So uh, jets going to the AFC championship game and, Playing the Dolphins in '82, heartbreaker. Dolphins flooded the field. The rest is history. Nice. We don't forget. <laughs> what about the great comeback against the Dolphins on Monday Night Football? That was yeah. uh, I can't remember the year off the top of my head. That was a Jumbo right. Elliott catch in the Enzo, though, right? Yeah, that hurts. Yeah, yeah. Blue oh. Wayne Corbett had a good diving catch in that one too. So. Oh, Wayne Corbett. There's a name from the past. Wayne, that's a name I haven't heard in a minute. So yeah, yeah that's that's <laughs> been a while. Uh what are the Jets' chances this year as they have no quarterback? Well, I really well, they definitely have no quarterback uh before a couple weeks ago, but I really like uh, Mike White. So didn't Mike just, F and White, as they call him. Didn't he just get hurt? So yeah, well, he might have broke a couple ribs yesterday. I didn't really see what happened. I know he got crushed, bent over sideways, but he came back in the game. But I haven't seen today what the uh, he's tough. What the deal is? He went to the hospital after yeah. the game immediately and was there for a while. Uh, but he's no. He just looks good compared to the quarterbacks that you have. I don't think true. He's I mean, playoff game winning capable. Right. What am I saying? Yeah, he has his ups and downs. He either throws for 380 yards or 180. So, but it's better than Zach Wilson throwing for 80. So, <laughs> that's true. Zach Wilson. So, yeah, we got hope. So, I think the Chargers took us out of the last playoff spot, but it's still possible to get to the playoffs. So it would be a huge uh, step for them. When I see the, when I look at the Jets right now, I see what I've dealt with on the Dolphins quite a few times over the last decade. You have a really good defense. You, you have, uh, a team that's ready to compete, 
but the but the fact that you have no quarterback is going to destroy you. And by the time you get something figured out at the position, which we never did, but your window is going to close on that defense, and then it's going to be too late because everybody beats themselves up in the football so much that these windows of having an awesome defense only last two or three years. So, eh, sorry. Yeah. That's like, why when the Jets drafted him and he didn't work out last year, I was like, just keep drafting a quarterback in the first round every year until you, <laughs> until you get it right. Uh, yeah, because they were way off on that, but everybody knew it. That was a terrible pick. Yeah. Yep. Uh, oh, it's time. It's time to switch. Yeah, I was about to say, it's this time. has been a great segue. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Uh, I hope everybody got their vintage baseball talk. Blah, blah, blah. We catch it with no gloves. Okay, here we go. Moving on <laughs> to the the sirloin, the the filet mignon of the episode, as, a, as it is. Uh, Simon is, has started. I, I, we're going to ask him all these questions. He's going to correct me in everything I'm about to say because I don't know details. But he's part of the situation that started the Quad Cities vintage football situation that exists and people have been asking me there's such a thing as vintage football well yes there's just not a lot of teams and i don't even know where it is other than in his area so we're going to find out everything and we're going to start right from the very beginning in 2013 simon starts up playing vintage baseball and then he gets a spur in his ass about vintage football in 2015. And this is how it started. Go. Well, it actually starts before 2013. So that's what I was saying. They're a little bit unrelated. But in about 2006 or seven, uh, right before I moved away from the Quad Cities, which is where Rock Island is, uh, I had started researching I had everyone knows that there was a, a team that was in the NFL back in the you know, beginning 1920, the first year of the NFL. But you know, you know that kind of growing up, but I never put much thought into it. And then suddenly that year it clicked. I was like, wow, like nobody talks about this team really. Like, what's what's the deal? How why were they in the NFL and why were they, you know, why are they not anymore? So uh, a lot of trips to the Rock Island Library and uh, I built a, a huge website for the team, rockislandindependence.com. Uh, it's very outdated. It's still running somehow. I haven't touched it in years. There's a lot of uh, incomplete stuff on there, but I wanted to put the main story there. I put all the box scores of the of their games and stuff like that. Uh, so I just fell in love with this team and researching. I've always loved history and everything. And uh, so that that happened. And and then, uh, like I said, moved to Tennessee. And in 20, late 2014, uh, a guy named Chris Zimmerman, a local in Moline, Illinois, sees my website and a lot of people had seen my website. I had a lot of uh, former, you know, a lot of families say, Hey, that's my grandfather played on that team. And I exchange emails and they're, they're sending me stuff. And um, actually in 2014, the rock on library had a thing, a traveling uh, football uh, exhibit. And uh, some people came out and met some people there and they had said, Hey, can't you get like an old helmet or something? And maybe we'll drive by Douglas park. And, you know, you can have a couple guys out there throwing the ball around I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't have any equipment. You know, I just researched the team. It's, it's going to be, uh, you know, I said, that would be cool, but you know, it just didn't work out. And, uh, so we had that and the guy, Chris Zimmerman emails me and says, Hey, when is your rock Island team going to come play my Moline team? And he said, uh, we'll meet down at the park. You know, which park I'm talking about, which was Douglas park, which is where the rock Island 
independence plates. So that was his email. So that started it. And I, uh, you know, I kind of wrote back and forth. A couple of people had talked about something like, you know, maybe just a small talk. Hey, we should play a game. We should do something. But this guy was very serious. You know, he had, he knew a lot of people and um, he's like, we get some guys together. I, I got a lot of friends and contacts. We can uh, get out there and play a game. And, and, and that's basically how, how it started the becoming a reality. And, uh, so you guys are following, so we're going to treat it just like vintage baseball. You guys are following yeah. the exact rules of 1920. Uh, for the most part. Uh, so I got lucky, uh, came across a Spalding 1917 rule book, which it was actually, I think back then they sort of modified it each year rather than putting out a new one. So it was like the modified rules for 1920, which is the kind of the year I wanted to focus on the late teens uh, or to 1920 or so for certain reasons. But uh, yeah, so I had a rule book and went through that and everything. Um, uh, yeah, so so that's that's the that's where the rules came from. Now, let me go back real quick, quick to uh, Chris and I starting off. Uh, sure, sure. That's all right. Yes. Uh, so he he said, let's get some people together and we'll we'll do this. And I, you know, I had this grand idea because. You know, I already played a little vintage baseball. I seen how, you know, people wear uniforms and this and that. And I was like, well, let's get some uniforms made. And he's like, well, I just think it's some old T-shirts. We'll go out there, have some fun. And, and so we went back and forth a little bit. And there was a, one phone conversation where he basically was getting kind of irritated because, oh, we got to do this. We got to do that. And, and and I said, well, and, and before that, we had we had gone down to Rock Island Parks and Rec together. We pitched this idea. Hey, you know, Rock Island Independence used to play here. We're thinking about doing a game down here. And uh, that that neighborhood is is not the greatest neighborhood, still not, but it's in, improved since then, I'd say. But uh, he said, "You want to hold a public game down there at the park?" They were like, "I don't know if that's that's the greatest idea." But uh, we said, "Yeah, that's that's where the field is. We want to play there." And the field was in pretty bad shape too. It was just uh, they use it for some softball and and stuff like that. The grass was all you know not not great and everything. So so we we got that straight uh we had to rent out the park and everything for the day and um so he helped come up with that so he found the the jerseys here i got this here uh, got these made up in uh canada by a manufacturer up there um so we got we got that going but he uh he basically and this was beforehand he said hey look we're just trying to play a vintage game and have some fun we're not trying to make this tv ready you know for the for the nfl network or something so we went back and forth, and, and I guess the long story is uh, we do have a cable channel come out and shoot the game every year. So, so I I won there, sticking to my guns, and we're gonna we're gonna make this thing look a little more legit than just some old guys out there running around. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like there's a there's a, a wise man once said, "It's only as special as you make it," and yeah, you uh you you identified that right away. And for our listeners out there, you can uh, see this amazing jersey. Uh, by just uh, clicking the YouTube link that will be on the Facebook page, and it looks sharp. And so, that's yeah. uh, and so you you had the jerseys, and do you do you have you have helmets? Yeah. Uh, would you like to see what we use here? It's, it's pastime yeah. sports makes these. They're uh, they're leather helmets, like a dog ear helmet here. So it's right around you know, like I said, nineteen nineteen to nineteen, you know, early twenties helmet. And when I told the guy I wanted to purchased some of these for that he said oh no these aren't meant to play in <laughs> give me all this crap about it and i said well it's flag it's going to be flag football because i don't know if you guys had said that yet but it's it is flag football but i'll get into the the rules on and all that but it's like so 
I ended up buying a few and a uh, longer story is we ended up, we have 24 helmets now. So you can wear one if you want, or you don't have to, which if you look at the pictures back then, a lot of them didn't wear helmets back then. So it still kind of looks authentic. Yeah. You so, gotta um, absolutely play flag football because there's no way <laughs> you'd have a full team by the end of the game. Uh, tackle is a violent thing. And uh, if, if you have the skill set, that's comparable to vintage baseball. You probably got some guys that are just out there having some fun and, and you don't need uh, all of the uh, gurneys coming out and taking people off the field. That's a bad look. Yeah. Yeah. So it would have been a one-time event and they'd ask us never to do it again. So that might've been worth it, but uh, yeah, we'd have nobody back year two. <laughs> so, so the flags, so, the flags are one rule that you have had to compromise on uh, for obvious reasons. You're putting on, you're keeping people healthy. You're putting on a show. And can you, can you go through the rules? Talk to us because we don't know anything about the 1920s football. We're just your common average football fan. What is so different about the 1920s as opposed to what it's evolved into right now? Well, part of the reason I picked like 1920 is because there's not really a ton of rules. You know, before that, you couldn't do forward passing and they had all these like big mass wedge plays and that sort of thing. So to, you know, in the early 1900s, they kind of tried to clean it up a little bit, uh, less momentum plays. And and that's why they opened up passing. There's going to be less uh, physical, you know, injuries and that sort of thing. So, so to me, you know, also with baseball, you know, you think of the early 1900s and up to 1920, you know, that era. So I just always have liked that era. So uh, since the rules weren't a ton different uh, and you could forward pass, that's sort of, sort of why. And then it helped that I found a rule book that I could go through. Uh, but touchdowns were six points and they had extra points at the time. I had a safety. They did kickoffs. It was very similar to what we see today in some ways, you know, and in other ways not. But really the you know and then the way we play it is is a lot like today but what i wanted my goal from the start was i wanted people and i wanted people to come out and watch it and feel like they're watching a 1920s football game and i wanted the players to actually be living the strategy i didn't want them just out there playing modern day flag football so the critical thing was all right you got to get the jerseys and look good you got to get some helmets everyone wears black shoes we got striped socks that's part of it. And then I don't know if I think I might have showed that here's the football we use uh, and it's got the rounded ends and everything on it. So this right here is the key to the whole thing. because It's uh, you try and throw this thing. You're not going to most guys aren't going to throw it over 20 yards. So it's and if you do, you're going to throw it up in the air a little bit and you're going to have some problems uh, catching it. So wow. the, the football was key because we wanted to make it so they're not there passing the ball all over and uh you know, and it's going to look a little bit more like a 1920s game. Yeah, that's amazing. And and <laughs> like, so I was uh, while you were talking, I was trying to do some research and like, um, <clears throat> like looking into like Pop Warner, uh, who who was coaching uh, in the 20s, and and like, is there a coach on this team, or is it essentially like vintage baseball where the coach also plays type situation? I mean, that's how it was back then. Uh, George Hallis ran the Bears and he was, uh, you know, an end on the line. And that's that was it. So, you know, when I researched the uh, independents, they basically had a, a manager who would schedule and he did everything. He'd schedule games and, 
work out uh, guarantees. He'd hire the players. He'd, you know, pay to rent the field. He'd had paid somebody to, to, you know, set up the field and do all this stuff. So uh, they each team kind of had a guy who would be a manager, and sometimes he was a player like uh, Hallis. Uh, but they didn't really have a coach. They back then they were looking for a college former college players to sort of head up the thing because a lot of the guys that that played maybe played high school, some played college, but you know they're. That's what I'll say is cool about back then is there's tons of neighborhood teams, kind of like baseball back then. There's in, even in the Quad Cities, you know, where this Rock Island team came from, there was probably 10 or 15 different football teams. And all the baseball players after the season was over, it'd be October, then football would start. They didn't overlap really the season, so they could play both. So some of the teams formed from, you know, they would have the same name as the baseball team, but now they're the, the football team. But yeah, a lot of a lot of amazing history there, and that's why I just got so deep into it. And in a do you notice? <laughs> do you notice any of the of the football clubs playing in a modern way, like pulling guards and the kind of passing plays that happen nowadays? Is there any emphasis on please keep it a little more historic? Yeah. So we ask about the rules. So I'll go through the basic rules you know like i said there's not a whole lot of difference in the rules itself uh, of the game the very cool rule that i love the most back then if you you know how now if you're a running back and you're running towards the end zone and you fumble the ball into the end zone or out that's a touchback well back then if you threw the ball into the end zone if it landed in the end zone or went out the side or back or got tipped and if it just went over the plane and went out it was a touchback so that that rule has uh Bitten a lot of teams, they're they're trying to throw it up and it hits, you know, gets tipped at the five and goes in the end zone. It's a it's a touchback, you know, going the other way. So Ouch. that's really the biggest rule, and that's it's a really cool rule. We really, you know, you can't just chuck it up into the end zone. So that sort of limits that sort of thing as well. Um, if you want, I'll go through basically our formations and how. So so what I do at the start is. The way it works is we're going to have a practice the morning of the game, let's say about three hours before the game. Uh, I invite everyone out. I'll do an introduction, and then I'll basically go through, like I said, modern-day safety rules. Like I, I started this partially. I got the idea. I played eight-on-eight eight flag football in Chicago. It was very competitive. We had linemen, and it was full-contact blocking. So it was it was tough. It was uh, pulling, people pulling, and, yes, end runs with people getting run over, and this was a uh, – you know, up in Chicago, so some some big guys, some former college players. Uh, so that's when I really fell in love with this style of flag football because it was it was very real, but it was also flag football. Um, so it wasn't as dangerous. So I took that idea and I said, what are we going to do here to to play this game? And basically due to the age, you know, sort of stuff and just to make it a little smaller, I basically shrunk everything by uh, uh, 20 percent. So the field is we do 80 yard field. Uh, with a 10 yard end zone. So, so that shrunk and then it's narrowed a little bit uh, by about the same, you know, 20%. And then we do uh, nine against nine. If we do 11 against 11, that's, that's five linemen. It's, it's uh, kind of too many people. So we have three interior linemen and two ends, which line up. The linemen are about uh, arm's length apart and the ends are out about another half step or so. And they're uh, past eligible. And then we line up the quarterback is in shotgun and I've got three backs behind me, a full back, a left half back and a right half back. So basically in the rules, I say, this is how you have to line up every time. And I emphasize 
you know, all the safety stuff, uh, no hitting above the shoulders, no going below the waist. We go through all that stuff first. And then we line them up. We say, all right, everyone line up. Here's how your line is. Here's how the defense is going to line up, you know, straight across. So the guy across from you is who you're blocking. No pulling, none of that. You're trying to beat the guy across from you. So uh, that's how I explain it. And and we might sort of walk through some practice plays to get them used to it. And then after that, we'll start huddling up and uh, let let the teams figure out who's going to maybe be the quarterback if it's, you know, some newer guys. And, and they sort of, you know, they're learning on the fly here. So we're we're uh, running through some plays and um like i said so that's that's how i go go through it pretty much every year and we go over uh kicking formations uh same thing we got on when you kick off you got nine across and the defenders have five uh three and one and, and you, you pretty much line up five three and one or five one and three if you're the quarterback but it's pretty much that formation on defense you got five linemen three linebackers and one only one safety that can drop back more than uh, 20 yards or so before the play starts so we everyone just has that formation you you get tricky you call you know you say i'm going to fake the handoff to you we're going to roll out or you know i'm going to pitch it to you late we're going to lead block around the end and and it's out there that's why i say it's no it's not tackle and some people on facebook is this tackle us is it well you come out and play if you want you're going to get run over a lot of times and it's uh physical uh and and sometimes people don't come back because it is pretty physical but I want it to look like a game. I want you to have all the strategies from the twenties and, you know, play some real football. So, so every single (laughs) offensive play you start out in the same set. Yeah. The first year I actually made a rule because back then they used to do a shift. So I've tried to incorporate a shift where you could say ready. Here's how I usually call it ready, set, and then hut. I'll call, I'll call like blue 16 or whatever, ready, set, hut. But it it was sort of set up that you on the ready, you had the three guys they could they could shift over into like a box like if you got the three here they could shift to a box and then you could run a counter off of that or whatever but it's a little confusing so i've kind of dropped that it's still in the rules and uh, one of the teams has done it every once in a while but it's it kind of screws up everybody just lining up the same formation keeps it simple and you can call all sorts of you know laterals and options and and oh, things shit. out of that you got three backs behind you you can half back pass or you know little screens and stuff like that so yeah, so everyone's in the pretty much the same formation, kind of to keep it uh, simple. Are you guys cons- have you constructed goalposts? Yeah, that was one of the challenges, and you know, one of the challenges probably for this whole game in general is like, all right. So I came up with the rules, and there's just been several people that have asked me about, uh, you know, they want to set up this for themselves or or whatever. I'd say that the the hardest part is, you know. You could get jerseys made like I have, or you could even use a, a long sleeve shirt and make your own shirts, I guess, if you want to go to a lesser thing. But there's a lot of startup costs and stuff. And then uh, finding like a historical thing, which is good for vintage baseball. We play on a lot of historical type lands and stuff, but you got to find maybe the local historical society and have them sort of buy into it. And because I'm not going to, let's say I just live in a random city, I'm not going to go put out all this money and go find all these people who are by myself because it's 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 kind of hard like i said i had some help at the start so we do it in rock island and they've seen how it works and the rock island parks is happy to have uh, the same guy he, he actually plays he sets up the field for us so he chalks the field and does everything to my specifications and then he actually gets some uh, two by two boards and puts some brackets on there and digs the holes and puts them in the ground of course, at the front of the, the goal line. So that yeah. makes for some interesting 
uh, situations as well. So how, uh, how much give they're in the front of the end zone. How much give <laughs> is there in those goalposts? Well, like I said, they're just like two by twos. Uh, so yeah, luckily we haven't had anyone smash anyone and break them. So they've got some give, uh, and football's hit them a few times and they haven't, uh, snapped. So that's, that's what we use, but yeah, they're, they're a little bit forgiving. So, wow. Uh, yeah. Who's, who's governing this? Is this self-governed or do you have like refs? Well, I, in the rules, I, I ideally I have four refs. I have one behind the offensive line, one behind the defensive uh, line by the linebackers and then a side ref on each side. So four refs and one of them will keep time. The other uh, strategy, it's kind of, kind of hard thing to do was, and it goes to the flag football, a lot of uh, flag football, you do 20 yards for first down. So since our field is 80 yards, we have a first down at the 20, 40, which is midfield, and then the other 20. So you still get just four plays, but it's, uh, so it's, that's the other thing. It's a little harder to get a first down. And back then they did a lot of punting and running. So in our game, there's a lot of uh, punting and running <laughs> and, and we don't have a chain gang. So I actually made my own, uh, down marker with the first through fourth down and we usually find somebody to come out they might dress up in uh some like like the officials will dress dress in a little cap white button shirt and brown pants and black shoes so uh they they've all bought into it they all love it and want to come out there every year uh so we got somebody to hold the down marker and that they'll sort of stay there till the play is over so we know where the line of scrimmage was so a lot of obstacles and things i had to come up with to to make this work. That's why it makes it a little harder than, you know, starting up a vintage baseball club where you got opponents you can play and people already got uniforms and, and that sort of thing. What has the response been from the vintage baseball community? <clears throat> Is that, do you have a lot of uh, dual players in, in the league there? Well, I live in Tennessee, so no, because my game is up in Rock Island, but a couple of years ago, Jeff Wells, who I believe, you know, who played down here in, uh, Tennessee, he uh, was on my vintage baseball team. And, you know, a lot of the guys had heard about it and thought it would be kind of cool. And uh, he does an event every year. He's retired now, so he doesn't anymore. But when he was uh, working at the uh, Alvin C. York uh, State Park out in uh, uh, East Tennessee. So he had said to me a couple of times, hey, I'd like to, you know, we have the stuff going on with the uh, World War One. They have rifles and machinery and stuff they show. He's like, I'd like to, you know, a lot of players went away at World War One and went to uh, camps and played football. And there's there's books written about some of these famous teams and stuff. Um, so he's like, I'd like to maybe on the Sunday when this is wrapping up, have uh, a bunch of the, you know, the volunteers and, you know, the military people play a game. So uh, we did get a bunch of our vintage baseball players to come out there to help, uh, you know, field teams. We had the Army against the U.S. Marine Corps. And I believe it was 16, 17, and 18. And I'll I'll be honest, uh, they were all excited the first year, and a lot of them didn't want to play the second year. <laughs> little, so this isn't vintage baseball. This is a little bit rough out here. And, and a lot of them now still, are you still doing it? Yeah, well, man, I, I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> so I'm not really selling, uh, selling it here too good. But I'll say this. I guess I'm probably pretty selfish because I pretty much did this all for myself. So I, I want to play, <laughs> I want to see the independence play and I want to play a game. So all these people come out and dress up, we play a football game and, and, uh, and I love it. So, well, yeah, the guy who's organizing it has to love it or it's going to yeah. be a train wreck. Actually, we were, uh, 
I do it. Well, I was doing a vintage baseball festival in Frankenmuth, Michigan. Uh, and we did it in 2018, 2019. Then in 2020, we were actually going to do a vintage football match exhibition. <laughs> and, uh, so I had started the process of <clears throat> learning the rules and I was going to get, you know, coaches for each team and they were in charge of their team. Cause I have a lot going on with the baseball and everything. And I had started the process, but COVID took it away from us. So we didn't really get too far with the football and I never revisited was, it. You know, I, I, I say, I, was I, that just random or had you actually seen a little bit of what we had done? Okay. So I had, so we have a gentleman in vintage football by the name of Paul Hunkley and he brought it up to me that it exists. And I believe he has a, a son or a son-in-law that is a part of it. What you guys do. He lives down there or okay. something like that. He'll yeah, the, I looked when I started, I, I couldn't find any, I think there was like somewhere out East, somebody had put on some like 1800s uniform that kind of ran around, didn't really play a game, but I, I did a little research and I couldn't find anyone who had, had done like a 1920s. So cause I said, I was starting from square one. So yeah, yeah was, I'm sure people have had the idea before. It's just kind of hard to get it organized. No, I had absolutely, uh, saw what you've done and we're just going off of that. This was not an original idea in my head. So, uh, and then I had these big grandiose <laughs> plans about how I'm going to get at least a team full of people who are willing to do this over and over. Cause like you said, it's, it's a little rougher than baseball and, and then we'd be able to travel down there once a year, I thought. And, uh, but then I never revisited it and it's been off of my head, but I tell you what it is, it is on my radar. So people who are listening to this, that is on my list of things I would, I mean, I would let, like to let's do. be honest. There's a bunch of people listening to this and they're going to reach out immediately because they're, uh, I don't want to say crazy. That seems like a hard word to throw around, but they are uh, masochistic and they would love to get out there and throw some people around and play some football. I know that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not that bad. I, I kind of talked to it. It's, it's like I said, you got the guy across from you doing a lot of running. So it is probably a, a average age is younger than some, some vintage baseball teams in this area. I know there's real competitive vintage baseball with some younger guys, but uh, yeah. So it's, uh, and a lot of our players, uh, we it's kind of weird. We do have a lot of older guys that are out there because they, you know, they love the history. And then we have a bunch of like former semi-pro players and high school players and some college kickers out there too that are, you know, pretty physical. So it's, but if you play like the the games in Tennessee, they were physical. I think they just got, you know, a little bit wore out. It was a lot more than the vintage baseball here. So they were like just tired and sore for a week afterwards. And they're like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. It wasn't like they were all like had broken legs and it's just, a, it's a lot. So, <laughs> well, I do want to say, since you're talking about that, uh, we have had, uh, let's say I wrote it down. We have had eight games in a uh, four locations. Uh, we had a NFL draft. Uh, there was a draft when they did the hundred years, they came to rock Island and we put on like a kind of a semi game there. Uh, we had eight games at four different locations, and then we had have had seven games at Douglas Park. So, uh, so sixteen games in total, and and we've had the Rock Island team, the Moline team. We've come up with the St. Paul team as who the Rock Island team played a hundred years ago, and then 
in Pine Village, Indiana, there was a team called the Pine Village Villagers. They saw what I was doing, and it was the lady uh, who was the head of the historical society there and said, yeah, we have this little town event every year, and this would be kind of cool. And um, she went like all in over the top. I, I basically say like, all right, I'll, I'll organize the football and, you know, we'll get some players together, kind of, uh, you get some locals. But she put on a, a town thing where they actually had a parade the high school kids came out, the football team, and they shut down the town. They're, we're playing across from cornfields and everything, and it's just a huge community event. Probably like 500 people showed up to the game itself. And like I said, they shut down the whole town of a couple hundred people just for this this game. But it's cool because back then their football team, that's what they were known for in this little 200-person population town. So 100 years later, you know, the Pine Village Villagers played again. Um, so we've had that. And like I said, the, uh, military game at, uh, Alvin C. York and, uh, played a rock Island game at another uh, venue. Uh, same thing. She's raising money for, uh, her house getting, it's like a 1920s mansion they're refurbishing. So they, uh, you know, invite people out and get all their donors out there to watch the football game. So like I said, I'll put on the game for you and you make what you want of it is kind of how it's worked so far really with me being involved. And, and I will say uh, one, yeah. Go ahead. I'll say there's there's one other game that's happened uh, that I know of, and I helped the guy. His name is Brad Anderson, and he's actually out of Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, he he every year after the uh, Thanksgiving on that Friday, he's got a bunch of guys actually in their thirties that would go out and play like a football game because that's tradition. And he had seen what we were doing for a couple years uh, right around COVID when that started. That kind of killed him, but. Uh, as far as uh, you know getting that moving but finally last year they they did a little bit and then this year they actually played 100 percent by the rules that that i had given him and they had their jerseys made and everything so just so you know there is a game that happens every year in grand rapids michigan actually i believe i talked to brad anderson and he is the gentleman who gave me your name okay so, so actually yep. i think that's so. how that went <laughs> So yeah, if you, that's what I say. The way to do it is you got to find somebody who's uh, really, really into it. Uh, maybe a local field to play at, and then, then you go from there. I can I can help whoever with whatever. I'd like I would really like to get up there and attend his event and and do it up the way I do it. You know, help either referee or play or just you know go through the rules with everyone and be a part of it. But it's usually right after Thanksgiving. It's a little hard to get up there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh yeah, so the football stuff is amazing. The fact that you have limited amount of games really makes it special. You don't have any commitment issues then because they're not going to get to play this a whole lot. They know they're going to have a lot of recovery time for one thing. So, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I would love to uh, see one of these games uh, one of these times. So, so definitely keep me informed of future matches. Uh, I'm always willing to travel yeah. for a good time. Don't threaten me. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, that's what I've said. That like the Pine Village or other places are like you could promote this, and you know, Rock Island's not too far from the baseball field of dreams. I'm like, you guys should be promoting this. Uh, as, you know, it's football's field of dreams, but I say it's kind of a real place. The the Bears, the Cardinals, the Packers, uh, a bunch of Hall of Famers, a bunch of. Uh, college you know former players played in, in this exact field so you guys you know make what you can of it and you know get some crowds out to support your your cause which is they they have a 
uh, Friends of Douglas Park too, which has mm-hmm. fixed up that park. They actually have a whole new grass field now since we started and uh, not really relating to us, but a little bit. Uh, the park was actually maybe going to uh, be sold off, but the community kind of rallied behind the park. Like I said, maybe a little bit due to us, but also because it's been there forever. And, you know, so I don't really have a personal fundraising cause for this, but I just sort of like helping out these uh, these uh, societies and park things that are, you know, trying to collect, raise money and and just get people out there to be aware of their uh, history and stuff. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for your enthusiasm uh, for bringing people yeah. this vintage football and and you're involved with vintage baseball. You are uh, a busy, busy man. I found that out a year ago. It's still true to this day. You got the two little ones. It sounds like uh, yeah. everything is coming up Herrera. Would you, <laughs> would you say that's true? <laughs> Guess what'd you call me earlier? The vintage overlord. No, I said it was a vintage overload. Oh, overload. <laughs> I thought it was a typo yeah, was... when you sent it back to me. But yeah, you, uh, you okay. definitely are a vintage overload. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I even had in my head one day to turn my vintage baseball festival into a vintage sports festival to where we'd have a vintage, a vintage, uh, football match and a vintage basketball match and vintage golf going on at the golf course. And I wanted to take everything back a hundred years for a weekend. And that was my, that was actually my big grandiose plan. There's no way I could pull that off, but boy, I had, I even had a professional wrestling, uh, 1920s professional wrestling event being put into the works too. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm too busy. Oh, dare to dream. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, somebody, it's it's out there for somebody if they want to take a vintage basketball. They, I've seen some of the old, it's like a leather ball with some laces, and I don't even know if they dribbled. I think they just passed the ball. It was something for them to do after the football season got over, and the scores would be like 15 to 10 or something. So they, nobody's even touched that. They so don't dribble. They don't dribble now. So True. <laughs> <laughs> nothing's changed. Uh, Simon, before I, we get you out of here. Rudy, did you have a question before we do the? I just real quick. Um, you mentioned that there, they're like you've had uh, someone come out and film the games. Someone listening right now say they want to. Is there a way for them to like see a clip of a game or watch a game? Is there someplace they can go? Yep. If you go to YouTube and then just search Vintage American Football, I've uploaded all three of their games, including uh, this year's, uh, the most recent one that happened in September. So. Uh, they have a broadcast team out there. They do some, I, I gave them all sorts of history. So they have all these graphics that they made with a lot of these stats and they'll cover the Rock Island history a little bit. And uh, they have a pretty cool little intro and then they show the, the whole game. Which So that that helps too with the player recruiting because, you know, they get to see themselves on TV. They'll actually talk to them and say, how many years have you played? And why do you come out here every year? So they get a little time on the, the camera. Fantastic. Uh, one more quick story. The, the cool thing, the first year we played, uh, there was a guy, Mike Ingholm, on our team, and his uh, mother is uh, Sandy Ingholm. And the first time I met her, she told me her dad played on the Rock Island team. And I said, oh. your dad? Like, how, how is this possible? You know, she's probably like 65 years old or so. And uh, But, yeah, he she she was born way late in his life, in his, in his 70s, I guess. But uh, so her son came out. This is a, a cool story about the whole thing is her. 
her son came out and, and played on the field that first year. And when I saw her on the sideline, she gave me a hug and was crying because she said, oh, this, he looks just like my dad out there playing. And uh, so th that's kind of just why I do it that. And um, a lot of the people come out and they they do. That's what I, I wanted it to look real. They come out and say, where'd you get these guys? Are they like traveling uh, expo? Like I said, no, we, we're just real guys. They thought they thought the first year was like a scripted you know, actors out there. And I said, no, we're, we're playing a real football game out there. Like I need to get back in. They're trying to, you know, talk to me and they want to interview on the, you know, the local news. I said, no, this is a real game. Like, so that's, that's, uh, you know, how, how good it's gone. And, you know, if anyone wants to get involved, like I said, uh, vintage American football at gmail.com, you can reach out to me. And I'd say the best way, if you really want to get involved is like, just come play in our game. We, we do have openings every year as people drop out. So, Anyone wants to travel to Rock Island, we're going to have a game for sure next year. And uh, that could be how you sort of check it out. Nice. Uh, football, manly men's sport, where you're still knocking up chicks at 70. I think that's what I got out of that story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Simon, we're going to get you out of here so you can get back to fathering and uh, husbanding. Uh, but before <clears throat> we do, uh, we do a little thing at the end of the episodes called Giving You the Old Pepper. So these are just quick questions with quick answers. Here we go. Can you name one of the best Christmas gifts you've ever gotten? Well, probably this is going to sound weird, but uh, yeah, just uh, when I was a kid, I loved music and stuff. So uh, my parents got me one of those old schools, 80s radio with the cassette thing. And I would just sit there and loved it because I could actually start recording, you know, all these songs off the radio. So that was just uh, one of the best things ever when I was about 10 years old. Uh, what dish at Thanksgiving do you feel like you overdid it on? Uh, it's kind of weird. I love uh, stuffing. It's like the Stouffer's House stuffing. I don't know why. My wife's like, I could make my own stuffing. It's like, no, just get the Stouffer's House stuffing. That's the, the one thing I'm looking forward to. I don't care about the turkey. I just want that stuffing <laughs> with some gravy. So, <laughs> What is your, the family that you have created with your wife, what is your family gift tradition? Uh, for like Christmas? Yes. Okay. Uh, really just the, the kids and even our grandparents. So, you know, we don't, they don't get anything for us to so just, just get stuff for the, uh, the kids and, and, and we'll, me and my wife will exchange stuff, but that's, uh, pretty much just about the kids these days. What was your first car? Oh boy. Uh, was that 1987? uh was it a stanza like a nissan nissan stanza something like that just the the thing got like 55 miles a gallon though so it was a, Can't you know, a four cylinder or two cylinder something but yeah yeah a little uh small not safe car <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to christmas trees do you prefer real or fake uh definitely real because the uh you know love the pie and smell and all that so and it's it's a lot easier to you just put it up. You don't have to. Some of these, my wife's parents gave us a Christmas tree, ten layers of all those things. You got to fluff out everything. It took me three hours to build that thing. So, so when I get my way, we just go get a real tree, and it's it's up. Name a Christmas song that drives you crazy. Um, probably probably uh, lately, Grandma got run over by a reindeer because oh. my six year old just plays it nonstop on the Alexa. So. Oh, that's, that's true torture. Uh, do, you, uh, 
Besides vintage sports, do you collect anything? No, not really. Um, no, just uh, just vintage sports items, I suppose. Like I said, the, uh, the old book and all that. So uh, nothing really. No. Okay. What is your favorite cheese? <laughs> that's, a, that's a random one. Uh, probably the sharp cheddar cheese. It's not we'll get random. That cut that up to kids. That's, huh? not, that's not random, Simon. Everybody loves cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't. I, that's about all I eat. It's just basic cheese. So, yeah, I don't have any any crazy ones. What vintage event have you heard about but never attended that you would like to? Uh, well, the, the Gettysburg baseball one. That, that would be awesome. I, I'm thinking some of our team or uh, our travel team, the league kind of has a travel team that they uh, go up there. I believe they've been there. So uh, I think, you know, after listening to some of your guests talk about it, that would be pretty amazing to go up there and, and play in that. What was the first concert you ever went to? Ario Speedwagon. Oh. <laughs> in, in, a, in a small place that had, you know, standing room only. They were up on the stage. It was pretty intimate, so pretty cool. If you woke up tomorrow and you learned that all of the animals can now talk, what's the first animal that you want to go talk to? Probably, uh, you know, it'd be like a hawk or something like that that can, you know, fly around like to like to hear what they what they see. That'd be pretty cool to be up there with them. And lastly, as a New York Jets fan, what is your personal Mount Rushmore of favorite New York Jets players? Well, I've got to start with uh, Mark Gassineau, of course. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, I actually went to my first Jets game in a few years. Uh, I hadn't been to one, and I went to the Vikings Jets a couple weeks ago, and they had a New York Sack Exchange signed helmet by the four linemen. Uh, so I uh, didn't, didn't bid on it, but that was I took a great picture of it. So Mark Gassineau, Joe Klecko, uh, love those two. My favorite player, because I loved receiver, was Wesley Walker. I don't know if mm -hmm. you're familiar with yes. him. Yes. He had limited eyesight. I think he was legally blind in one eye. I looked up his stats not too long ago. His receiving stats are up there with some of the best today, and he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, same time era, Freeman McNeil. Love that guy. And, uh, of course, I played a lot of, of Madden growing up, so I really loved uh, Dennis Bird, who got paralyzed on the Jets. season. He's a, was an amazing player and uh, – I would sit there and play Madden against my buddies and just be Dennis Bird the whole game just to, you know, shut them down. So I'd say those five. Uh, but you're only allowed four, so we're going to take off Joe Klecko. Oh, Joe okay. Klecko, okay. Uh, Joe Klecko in Smokey and the Bandit. Oddly uh, enough. Yeah. Uh, that's a good movie. Simon, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate you. Uh, what a great episode. Uh, Rudy, talk to Simon. No, yeah, I mean, you are really doing uh, above and beyond uh, a passion project, and I, I literally just subscribed to the YouTube page. I can't wait to watch. I mean, yeah, check that I, out. I encourage everybody listening to subscribe to the YouTube page, check out these videos, and and I definitely know there's a contingent of people here in uh, the Midwest that are going to be extremely interested in this. So thank you so much for uh, the pun intended, picking up the ball and running with it. Um, nice. And and nice. I wish you all the best in the upcoming seasons. All right. Well, thank you for having me on. Um, one more little thing, if you guys uh, could maybe put a link to the Etsy page I have. I have a. Uh, 
vintage vintage sports company i've changed the name from vintage american football because i'm doing some vintage baseballs as well but that uh any sales there sort of helps me keep this going so uh, etsy vintage sports company uh, i got some footballs i got some rock island t-shirts and stuff uh but like i said it helps me keep it going my wife was you know not too thrilled the first year or two and all this money was coming out of our personal account and not not collecting anything so this is you know a little bit of what it's turned into just to keep the dream alive that's what we're doing that sounds very familiar to me my wife says oh how much money is this podcast making so yeah no totally yeah you guys are dedicated us i'm huge into fantasy football and you know i i kind of think i mean i'd really like to start something like that but it's just so much research and you know the time you put into it so thank you very much for rudy puts in practically no time (laughs) yeah i do nothing just just hits record and stop and a little editing he he doesn't even show up all the time <laughs> what, what an easy gig. Uh, all right, Simon, stay in the line for us so we can say goodbye to you like gentlemen would. And Rudy, get us out of here. Ladies and gentlemen, for the Bill Roller, I'm the Swamp Fox. And we want to tell you to keep it stationed the station. And we'll see you out in the field. 